Good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. Love the singing. It's great. Uh, do want to mention a few folks here. I've noticed online uh, just recently uh, I was peeking at my phone during church. Uh, hope I didn't get in trouble. Uh, Betty Cooper, uh, Chelsea Black, uh, Lisa from Montana, uh, the Emmons, I know they're up in Colorado, Bobby from Jonesboro, Arkansas. By the way, Bobby, we've got some of your members here today. Uh, Chris and Monica uh, are with us today, uh, Buxton. And Timothy from Wisconsin, Ann Bolden, uh, several others. So uh, be sure and uh, 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 interact with folks. We've still got a lot of folks needing to stay home because of different reasons with this pandemic thing. So let's don't lose contact uh, with each other. Y'all have done great uh, about that, by the way. Jonathan Spence is going to read our scripture for us. Brother, thank you for being willing to do this. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke against the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that, John. Thank you so much. I love the public reading of our word. Today's lesson out of John 8, verse 12, to the, all the way to the end of the chapter. That's a lot of text, a lot of verses, but uh, we're going to tackle this thing. And uh, uh, by the way, Al is uh, tackling it in the other room. And so today we kind of got the two uh, guys live, which is uh, not normally how we do this here, but uh, 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 next time we do that, well, we'll switch places. And so you never know what's going on around here, okay? You just got to be ready to go. Right. I told uh, somebody, and I said, you know, sometime or another, something's going to break down technology-wise, and you, somebody's going to have to be ready to preach in there. And I always said that I would preach at the drop of a hat, and then I would pass the hat. So uh, that's the way we do when we're preaching, right? All right, let's look at this text. There's going to be a clear contrast seen through this whole text. Now, you remember... All the way through the book of John, remember the purpose is writing these verses to make people believe in Jesus. They give them reasons to believe and see who Jesus is and is he who he claimed to be. And so this is what's happening uh, uh, as as John writes these words. And so now he's showing uh, uh, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And we saw uh, in in chapter 8, the first 11 verses, the interaction there with the woman caught in adultery. Remember, they started that scene. Those Pharisees that showed up had rocks in their hands. That's going to be interesting. Remember that because that's going to come back around. They had stones in their hands. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness your own testimony is not valid. So they're going to question his testimony. Now, before we get too much into this, I want to talk about just a little bit about the context of this situation. Because if you notice, uh, down in verse 20, he tells us where this is happening. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. What is this temple area where the offerings are put? This temple area is is known as the court of the women. The women could not go further into the temple courts than this place. This was also the most populated place. There was the most traffic at this place in the temple courts. Which, by the way, that's where they brought the woman, by the way, getting accused. Remember earlier in the chapter. Now, 
So they're in the temple courts, and there were 13 treasure chests set up in the temple courts for giving. You know, we got a couple of giving place things back there, but they had 13 places to give in this place. The first two of these giving uh, places, they were kind of shaped like a trumpet. They were round at the bottom and narrow at the top. And the first two of these were for the upkeep of the temple. Three and four were for the purchase of pigeons used for sacrifices. Number five was for the wood that kept the altar burning. The sixth uh, giving uh, trumpet there was for money for the incense. Seventh was for money for the upkeep of the golden vessels. And eight through thirteen was the miscellaneous giving the people of God did in the, in the courts there, the women courts. And this treasure was a very busy place, and it provided the maximum opportunity to speak to the maximum number of people. So this is where Jesus gathered. By the way, pretty good strategy on his part, don't you think? So he chose this place for a purpose. Now, not only did he choose the place, let's look at the time that it happened. When did this happen? Remember, Jesus is speaking following the Feast of the Tabernacle. In John chapter 7, you got the Feast of the Tabernacle. Jesus is speaking. Matter of fact, he even makes a statement there about uh, being living water and those kind of things, which a water, a, a water sacrifice was done every day during this Feast of the Tabernacle. And so uh, this feast celebrated that God would send the Messiah, but they missed it even though they had a feast that pointed toward it. That was kind of interesting to me. Now, in this Feast of the Tabernacle, they would set up these huge candelabras that would light up the whole area at night, even to the dark areas of the streets of Jerusalem. And they would do this. This was called the illumination of the temple. And so this had just happened, and that light represented God taking care of them through, remember, when he guided them through the wilderness with the the cloud, uh, uh, you know, by, by day and the fire by night. And so they looked back and they would sing songs like, God is our light and our salvation. That's what they were singing during this feast. And so all of a sudden when this feast is over, all those huge bright lights in the temple courts are gone. And now right after the feast, Jesus comes in on the scene, stands in that very place of the temple courts and announces to them what? I am the light. Of the world. Get the scene? They did not miss it, I promise you. The Jewish folks did not misunderstand what he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be the light of the world. In John 6, 7, and 8, you have this imagery of the wilderness appearing every time. Uh, in John 6, he says, You had the manna. But I'm the bread of life. In John six, uh, 7, he says, there's water from the, walk, uh, from the rock, but whoever believes in me, the streams of living water will flow from him. And now in John 8, I am the light of the world. He makes a clear statement. Remember, he already made this statement. John reminds us of this in John chapter 1 when he says this light has come and darkness can't stand it, right? That he's the light and the life of men. A lot of men have claimed to be the light of the world over years time, but they all flicker and are gone just like that. But Jesus light? No. It never goes out. This this light is the light of the remember of the what? Say it with me. Of the 
world. Say it with me. Of the world. That's important. Because he's sitting there in this temple courts, which all these folks are saying the light is only for us. It's not light just for the Jew. It's light for the Gentile too. It's not light of the world for America, but it's light for every nation in this world. It's not just for uh, uh, the white man. It's for the black man and every other race that exists. The light of the world is for the world. And there is no other option for people who are in darkness. Whether it's rich or poor, educated, uneducated, it's to every nation the light of the world is to go. And it is for every man and it solves his dark problem. Which, by the way, when does that kind of rudeness and and sinfulness take place? In the dark. In the darkness of night and in the darkness of men's heart. That's when evil shows up. Now, in his claim, his statement reveals the sinfulness of mankind. We are in this dark. John 1 said, look, we don't walk in darkness. 1 John 1. Right? We have to walk in light as his children. Why? The world is in darkness. Colossians 1.13, Paul says he's rescued us out of the dominion of of darkness. Ephesians 4:17. They were darkened in their understanding. Ephesians 5:8. For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Evidence of darkness in our culture is all around us. There's a reason violent protests take place at night. There's a reason people steal in the darkness. There's a reason people hide out when evil's taking place. Nobody wants to have the light shine on the dark parts of their life. And yet that's what the truth of Jesus Christ and who He is does. Romans one twenty one describes that progression of sin and the terribleness of it within the world. And he says, Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when Jesus declared he's the light, he also declared that without him, there is no light. He overcomes darkness. And he's the only answer to our hopeless state. In this claim, there's an invitation too, by the way. He says, what? Whoever follows me. He calls people to him. So the challenge of this claim, the people were asked to come out of darkness into light. And people were asked to believe in him as as God's son. Some put their faith in him, but many didn't. And to them, Jesus said this phrase several times. In verse 21, look what he says. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you'll look for me and and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This is may, uh, this made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he said? Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will die in your sins. Three times in two verses. You think they get the message? You're going to die in your sins without Jesus. There is no other hope. 
Now, this isn't a popular theme. You don't hear a lot of preachers preach on this, I don't think, much anymore. The fact that people die in the world and they're lost without you. They die in their sins. Where do you end up when you die in your sins? I end up in hell taking what I deserve because of my sinfulness. Now, I'm telling you, there needs to be a reality taught again about what the Bible says about people dying in their sins. Someone says, Michael, are you trying to scare people? Yeah, I'm trying to scare the hell out of them. That's what I'm trying to get. Get it? That's what we're trying to do. I want, why? Because I want them to fear God. I want them to love Jesus. But I'll tell you what, we cannot lose the fact that, that that claim that when we're outside of Christ, when we're in darkness, our death is a death in the middle of our sins. And that is a terrible, horrible thing to have happen to man. The people who wanted light and believed then were told by Jesus in 31 and 32, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth. Everybody knows this verse. And the truth will set you free. Now it's interesting because the Pharisees with this claim didn't really even address the fact they were dying in their sins. All they're doing is back up their old tricks of trying to figure out how to trap Jesus in the words that he said. So first you have the light. Second, you have the lies. Now I want you to listen to the lies throughout this context. The evil one is said to be the father of lies. Here's lies. Here's the lies that they, they believe. Lie number one, we have never been slaves of anyone, they, they answered Jesus. Well, we're Abraham's descendants, and, and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? We don't need this freedom you're talking about. We've never been slaves. First of all, that's lie, number one. Historically, it's a lie, because Abraham's descendants had been slaves several times. And then spiritually, it's a lie, because they were enslaved to Satan. That's lie number one. Lie number two, they said, Abraham is our father, verse 39. Well, we have Abraham as our father. You know what? If I remember Abraham right, he was a man of faith. Romans 4 said he trusted God even though he couldn't see down the road there. He, he, he trusted a God that called things that are not as though they already were. This is the kind of faith Abraham had in a great God. Abraham, when he was called, he went. When he, when he was called to bow, he bowed. When he was called to fight, he fought. When he was called to sacrifice, he did. He followed God faithfully. This is not what they're doing. And by the way, they're tying themselves to Abraham for a reason. They think that gave them some kind of pride in their heritage. Look. You can be raised in the church all your life. You can tie your name and your family's name to a, a, a congregation or a group of people and somehow or another think that somehow I, that, that makes me right with God. I'm telling you, you cannot be right by religious heritage. They're not the chosen people. They're not God's people because 
they're following physically the line of Abraham. You're only God's people when you follow Abraham by faith, Romans 4 says. It's amazing how they wanted to somehow or another keep claiming this history as somehow or another proving they were right with God. Line number three, God's our father, they say in verse 41. While we're not illegitimate children, they protest. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said, I'm God, and you won't listen to me. In fact, your father is really the devil. Verse 43 and 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. The very fact that they lied time and time again just showed who their father really was. Line number four, Jesus is the evil one. Now, can you imagine, you've heard him teach all these chapters this group has. You've listened to his claims, you've seen the evidence, you've watched his miracles, and now all of a sudden, you're going to say, oh, he's from the evil one? You know what? If you claim Jesus is from the evil one, you have no other place to go for the forgiveness of your sins. There's nothing left. We're all susceptible to this thing of lying, right? I think it started a long time ago, back in the garden. Why is it our first inclination to lie? Why is that a part of our our nature? I mean, if your parents, right? Your kid answers you honestly every time, correct? No, no, that, that, no, they don't do that. Those, those little rugrats, they lie right to your face. And if they get away with it, they'll lie again. That's why it's so important to teach the character of honesty. Look, you don't have to teach anybody to lie. I've never, you don't have to say, look, we're going to have a lesson on lying, and here's how you do it effectively. You don't have to do that. Everybody gets that automatically. But you do have to teach the character of honesty and truth. You've ever been caught up in those lies yourself? Uh, that's, that's the way I lived for a while. You know, somebody wants you to go do something, and you don't really want to do it, but you don't have a good excuse, so you kind of finagle one. You kind of tell a little white lie. You figure, you know, just a little dishonest. In the, in the motive. Now, don't take this to the extreme. I mean, if, if your wife says, honey, how does my hair look? I mean, you need to decide ahead of time. It looks good no matter what she says. I'm just saying. So I never quit going to church my whole life. I was raised going. I was... I'm so proud my dad put that in me. By the way, parents, someone asked me, do you make your kids go to church? You bet. 
Because that the seed that's sold time and time again gives you a place to come back to. I had a place to come back to. Even though I never left attendance, I left the Lord a long time. But as a teenager, most of everybody in my church thought I was, hey, I went to church every Sunday, I participated in stuff. So they thought, he's pretty good. They didn't know what I did on Saturday night. But Sunday morning I showed up. You know how many times I took the bread and I took the fruit of the vine and I sat there in a whole room full of people and I put that in my mouth while some guy talked and prayed and I lied. Then I would live in the world and I tried to hide that part of my life from other parts. A guy started studying with me there at the Arkansas State University and they were going to come over one Monday night. So they knocked on the door and look, it's that instinct to hide and lie, right? I slid all the beer behind the couch and and covered it up with something. And I'm sure there's plenty of clothes laying around the floor, you know, just covered up. And invite them on in just like, hey, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I always go to church. Lie. Oh, I went, but there was a total lie in my life. Because I was not a disciple of Christ. And you know what? You think you can hide. I thought I could hide it. But the bottom line is, the light of Jesus, he saw everything I ever did and still does. I try to tell those lies. Happens in marriages, right? I'm working late. I'm helping somebody do this or that. Next thing you know, there's flirtation happening. There's a, there's a bad relationship developing and, and lying and deceit and all that thing just snowballs until somebody's family falls apart. The destruction of lies. Look, we, our, as liars, our, if, if we're a liar, if that's the consistent way we live, our father's the same as their father, the devil. You have the light, you have the lying. Lying to ourselves is some of the worst thing. I talk myself through some rationalization that somehow or another I can, you know, I can manage my own sin. I just can't do it. Let's look at the last word. In John chapter 8, in the very end of the chapter, verse 58, Jesus says, i tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, what? I am. And at this, look what they did. When he claimed that, at this they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. They picked up stones to stone him. They started the chapter out ready to stone, and they end the chapter ready to stone. They started out chapter 8 ready to stone a woman caught in adultery. Now they're ending the chapter ready to stone the one that gave her mercy. Oh, they dropped the stones in the first part of chapter 8, but it didn't take them long to pick them back up. Jesus has a, lays out a clear, clear choice. Light or darkness? 
life or death, truth or lies, freedom or slavery, father of God or your father's the devil, heaven or hell. He lays out the contrast between who he claims to be and how they could live for him, but they aren't buying into it. Think about what Jesus claimed. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and last, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who we serve, the one that is the light of the world. Amen, brother. Amen. So guess what he calls us to be? Your salt and what? Light. And look, I just want to encourage you for a minute. I go around and meet people in town, and we have conversations, and and they always up, ultimately say, well, you know, what do you do? And 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 so we talk, and they say, oh, I know someone from your church. Now, sometimes that can be a little bit of a uh oh feeling, you know, depending on who you know, right? Because I know we're all just a bunch of sinners in here together. We all mess up, including me right here standing here. Who said amen so loud on that point? Tommy, Tommy Parkins did that. Yeah, but we're all there to you. But I hear more things about, oh, wow, that place made such a difference in my niece's life. That place made such a difference in my neighbor's life. Those folks, I'm telling you, being salt and light in this community, that's what you're about. And you are making an impact as you are reflecting the light of the world. I know there are people here today or watching online, listening, that, that won't out of darkness. And they're not like the, the Pharisees here. They, they won't out. And they're willing to believe in Jesus, but still hadn't made that move yet. Do you remember right before you were baptized? Anybody remember that? Remember that those days or that week, maybe you studied with someone or you had been thinking about this a while. Maybe you talked to, to if you were younger, you probably talked to your parents or, or uh, older, you were talking to someone you've been coming to church with and they laid out this. And you were thinking, I need to make a move, but, but man, I, you know, I'm kind of I'm scared to, but I know I need to do something. You're in the darkness. And you're right there ready to make that decision. You're a lot different than the Pharisees. Their hearts were hard. They were liars. They didn't care. They didn't want to make a decision. But here they are ready to stone him. But here we are. If you're right there on the edge of darkness and you're willing to believe in Jesus, you can make all that right. You can respond to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You can be baptized into Christ and start life all over again. The old man is buried. The new man is raised up. Now all of a sudden there's grace and mercy when there's all been, only been judgment before and condemnation. You can move literally from darkness to light when you obey the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to ask the worship team if y'all come on up. We're going to have an invitation. We have an invitation at our church. This is our tradition, our culture. To pray with people when they have a problem. Whether it's a struggle, whether it's sometimes it's sickness that we're praying for. Sometimes if somebody got caught up in sin, they're just repenting, saying, look, I, and you know what I love is nobody comes alone. People gather around each other. We're all in this thing together of trying to walk in the light, right? Now, as we walk in the light, the blood continually cleanses us, but that's about direction. It's got to be about direction. It's not about perfection because none of us have that on. But you, if you've never been baptized into Christ... You can move from darkness to light today. And we'll celebrate. And you know what happens on that? When a person, when one person repents, it says, the Bible says, the angels of heaven rejoice. You move the emotions of heaven when someone comes to God. I think it's time to move the emotions of heaven today. By people who want to leave darkness and get in the light. Maybe if, if, if you're already in Christ, but boy, you've been having some struggles and the darkness is just battling you, you know? Because some of those old things are hard to get out of. That's why we're here. Pray with each other. Be a forever family. Take care of one another. Look, no one in this room is better off spiritually than anybody else when you're in Christ. We're all the same. We all have a great need for the grace of God. All of us. So if you're struggling with something, we're just family. We'll struggle with you. We'll walk the journey with you. But don't let old habits seep back in and take you down a journey of darkness. Don't go down the dark road. You stay in the light. I am, he said, the light of the world. Father in heaven, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us to walk in the light. We want to be like Jesus. We want to see other people discover who Jesus is. We want to preach this good news that calls people out of darkness and into light. So I pray, Father, for every heart that hears your word today, that they'd be moved closer to Jesus. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for the grace and mercy you've shown us at the cross. Thank you for the rescue that you brought about that brought us out of darkness and into light. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. let's stand and sing as, uh, as we do. Come forward if you have a need.